I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. I've seen a lot of fire scenes, and if you have someone that knows what they're doing looking for remains, I hate to use it's impossible, but it's almost impossible to destroy a human body in a house fire. There's going to be bones, just pieces. There's going to be something left. Even when you cremate remains in a crematorium, at the end there's bones left. The thing I was getting from the scene was the fact that they're finding, you know, a dog, they're finding food items, finding smaller animals, should have been able to find these children if they'd been in that fire. On a quiet Sunday evening in rural Tennessee, a fire rips through a modest farmhouse. Four people are reported to be trapped inside, an elderly couple and their two young grandchildren. The inferno rages long into the night, and firefighters can do little to save the structure from burning to its foundation. In the hours and days that follow, forensic experts sift through the black ash and debris, searching for a cause of the fire and the remains of the family that lived there. But it's what they don't find that turns this tragedy into a haunting and painful mystery. I'm Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, Lost in the Ashes. September 23rd, 2012 was the day that it actually happened. I was at my house in Chevyville. I was asleep, and my sister and new brother-in-law came and knocked on the door and woke me up and told me that the house was on fire. 45-year-old Cheryl Daniel bolts out of bed. The house that's on fire belongs to Cheryl's mother, Molly, and stepfather, Albert McLaren, who's known fondly as Bubba. It's also home to Cheryl's two young children, nine-year-old Chloe and seven-year-old Gage. It was like, oh God, you know, my baby's mama, Bubba. I got real shook up. I was trying to put my clothes on. My sister had to come enjoy and help me get my clothes on because I couldn't really get in them. And then when I got out there, there was no fire hydrants out there, so the firemen were having to bring water in to help put the fire out. I can remember 
walking around the fire looking for a way in you know and the, the worst feeling of it all was not being able to help them and um, shock it was shock the farmhouse is in a rural part of Middle Tennessee, just an hour south of Nashville. As plumes of smoke drift across the moonlit hills, Cheryl watches the chaotic scene in horror, knowing her parents and children are inside. Cheryl's sister, Pam Leverett, is with her. The house was just completely engulfed. It was, it was a shocking sight. It's like your world just turns upside down and... You know, it's like something that you see in horror movies, but you don't really expect it to ever be a part of your life. You don't think that it's really real and things like that can happen, but it has to us. And you felt helpless, hopeless. It isn't long before Cheryl gets the devastating news that no one has made it out of the fire alive. As day breaks over the smoldering scene, a team of investigators called from different local, state, and national agencies begins the task of recovering the remains of Molly, Bubba, Chloe, and Gage. Chloe, the last time I seen her, she was nine years old. She has a sweet child, very sweet, has a big heart. Her eyes are piercing blue, the color of the sky, real long eyelashes, just uh, always wanting to be involved always busy doing something. She loved life. I was told I could never have children, so when I was pregnant with Chloe, I was a little bit in shock. It was a blessing. You know, her dad, he had passed away too, so, you know, we were really what she knew, what she had. Gagey, he, uh, he was seven at the time. He had light brown hair, hazel eyes, you know, and he had some uh, disabilities. He had the, uh, they call it the Daniel Walker syndrome, which it controls your motor skills and your speech. He was a good-hearted little boy, just precious, sweet, kind. You know, he surrounded his life around Bubba, his granddad, always asking questions, always involved, just loving. They both had really, really good hearts. Investigators sift through what's left of the 2,000-square-foot home. It was a single-level ranch-style house with four bedrooms, three bathrooms, and a full-sized basement. They found Molly and Bubba in the basement because the top floor of the house had a caved in from the fire into the basement. They found about everything of them, except, you know, some of it maybe was not together. But they found their torso, they found his um, skull, his arms. You know, they said that Bubba was pretty smashed up. You know, so they couldn't really tell what had happened. He was like underneath his bedroom where it would have been. Now, this is a, this is what we're all kind of baffled about. Him and Mama did not sleep in the same room. And Molly's room was, I say, a good 20, 30 feet away from him. But they found them side by side in the basement. At the time of the fire, Molly and Bubba have custody of Chloe and Gage while Cheryl struggles with recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. I was 45 years old. I had moved away from Mom and Bubba. I was living in town. I had had some um, issues as far as mental and addiction, I'm not gonna lie, and they were taking care of Chloe and Gage. But uh, I was still in their lives. They had just been with me the weekend before and I had just talked to Mama the night before it happened. 
Cheryl, my sister, she has loved those children before they were ever, ever come into the world. She loved them, and she, she was the best mother she could be to them. She had some rough times and went through some rough days, but just for herself personally, and she did what she thought was best for her children. I remember her telling me after this had happened, I thought they were the safest place they could have ever been was with Mama and Bubba, and I know she probably has a lot of regret and guilt and a lot of what-ifs. After hours of searching through blackened rubble, there's still no sign of Chloe and Gage's remains. Some small bones are uncovered, which are first thought to belong to the children, but they're quickly confirmed to be from the McLaren's pet poodle and a cockatoo, which also perished in the fire. Since the children were last seen at the house playing in the yard at around 6.30 p.m., investigators assume they must have been in the house at the time of the fire, which started around 9.30 or 10 that night. Could the children somehow have escaped the fire and run away from the scene? The search started Monday morning after, you know, the fire had kind of calmed down and put out. They started, you know, looking through the rubble and stuff. And from that time on, they had people working day and night searching the fields. Helicopters came in, cadaver dogs came in, hound dogs came in, people on foot, you know, searching the area, searching the cars, old houses, whatever they could find out there around Rover that they thought they may have, you know, ran off or, you know, try to hide and get away from the fire. I kept telling my brother and my family, I said, you know, they're alive. I can feel them. They're alive. And they were like, well, you know, honey, no, they're not. You know, that's a mother's wishful thinking. But uh, I could feel, I could feel that they were alive. I just didn't know where they were at. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners Adidas, Expedia, and Ray-Ban. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for travel deals and home electronics. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. My first communications at the scene uh, was a description of what they had. It was a house fire uh, with two elderly people that had lived there and two children. Dr. Hugh Berryman is a professor and director of the Forensic Institute for Research and Education at Middle Tennessee State University in nearby Murfreesboro. I'm a board-certified forensic anthropologist. There's not a large number of us in the country. Right now, there are around 100 that are board-certified. And uh, what a forensic anthropologist does is we assist law enforcement and medical examiners in the recovery of human remains, uh, usually skeletal, and in the identification and analysis of the uh, skeletal remains. We developed the Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team. This is a student team 
I have 15 incredibly good students trained to work crime scenes. And this is one of the few, maybe the only place in the country that would work with uh, undergraduate students that would actually go out and help process scenes and work with the medical examiner's office. The lead agency investigating the McLaren fire is the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, or TBI. When the search for the remains of Chloe and Gage comes up empty, the TBI turns to Dr. Berryman and his team of students to perform a definitive scientific search of the rubble. They consider an intriguing theory that Bubba and Molly might have held their grandchildren close as the fire overtook the house, and Chloe and Gage's remains were possibly mixed in with their grandparents. Actually, that first day, students were asked to look at the remains in the body bag because there looked like a third remain, and I think they were hoping this could be one of the children. And as they looked at it, they found that the overall shape of what they were seeing looked like may have been a dog. Bones that were exposed were not human, and they actually found bits of fur. So they could eliminate that. A lot of times it's very, very difficult when you get certain things in a fire, it just looks like bone and it's not bone. And so that can be confusing. Dr. Berryman's team of forensic students conducts a painstaking examination of every inch of the rubble left from the fire. We line up one arm length apart and you have someone calling step and they'll say step. The students take a step and they look at everything in front of them and their field of view overlaps the students on each side of them. And so you double look at areas and they'll take another step. And sometimes uh, we actually, we go in one direction and then we search again from 90 degrees to that. So we kind of crisscross the scene and we're looking for bone. But you know, house fires, it's been my experience that most house fires, people think that the bodies just burn up. And that's not been my experience. There's a certain pattern when a body burns and they tend to all go through that same pattern. And it's when we don't see those patterns that we begin to ask questions as why are we not seeing what we normally see? There are things we know are gonna happen when a body burns. There's something called a uh, pugilistic posture. Pugilism is a term from boxing. And what this means is the muscles, as they begin to shrink from the heat, deltoid in the shoulder, anterior and lateral deltoids, are bigger than posterior deltoid. And as they shrink, the arms will tend to move forward, will flex from the body and move forward. Biceps is larger than triceps. When it shrinks, it'll overpower triceps and the arm will bend at the elbow. The arms will come up so the hands are in front of the face and it looks like a boxer, a pugilistic pose that you see in boxing. The fire was massive, torching everything in the house. The entire structure crumbled to its foundation, and some say that the heat generated by the fire reached temperatures over 1,500 degrees. Was that enough to incinerate any remains of the children so they could never be located? If you have someone that knows what they're doing looking for remains, I could say it's... I hate to use it's impossible, but it's almost impossible to destroy a human body in a, in a house fire. There's going to be bones, even if they're calcined bones, just pieces, there's going to be something left. Beyond the two bodies that were found previously, my team did not find any additional human remains. 
I kept thinking these kids, if they're not, if they're not in the fire, they have to be somewhere. So why didn't we find them in the fire if they had been in the fire? And a lot of effort was made searching that scene. It's always been kind of a concern. It's always in the back, it's been in the back of my mind ever since then. Is I, I do wonder what happened. For five days, forensic anthropologists from MTSU and the University of Tennessee sifted through the debris. They found Molly McLaren, Bubba McLaren. They found a pet dog, a bird, but no signs of the children. Everybody had their opinions, you know, different opinions of whether they, you know, they turned to ashes. You know, they had found Molly and Bubba's bodies and a cockatoo bird and a miniature poodle, but they had not found anything of Chloe or, or Gage. And they brought in different people to uh, help. Um, forensics, FBI, ATF. I think the cadaver dogs came from the World Trade Center from the bombing. And uh, they finally come to the conclusion that they were not in the house fire. I was, uh, I was ecstatic. I was happy because I thought, yes, they're alive. Yes, they're going to find them. They know that they're out there. They couldn't have got too far. You know, somebody had to have seen them. I'm hoping that they will be found and that they will be brought home. At the time, you know, we just maybe thought it was an innocent fire. TBI came over and um, they were talking to us, asking us questions. And they told us, we do not believe the children were in the fire. We are not able to find any remains of them and I remember sitting there and looking at them and thinking, this is just all changed. Everything has changed. And I remember asking them, do you realize what you're, you're saying to us at this point? This has gone from being just a, a house fire to possibly murder. And then, our, you know, our children have been taken and, and they just looked at us and they were like, yes, ma'am. We do not believe the children were in the fire. Now what started as a house fire becomes a different kind of investigation. Was the fire an accident? Or was it intentionally set? And where are Chloe and Gage? A lot of speculation is what could have happened. What could have happened to two small children living in a rural area where you would have to know they were there to have known they were there. You know, it was in the middle of nowhere. It just seemed as though if someone did take them, they knew them, and they knew where to find them to take them. I look at the rubble, and it's just a, I get angry. I have a lot of heartache. There's so many different emotions that go through my mind and my body. It's unreal. It's a, a lot of anger, you know, because who done this? Why would they do this? And um, hurt. You know, they took my parents. They took my children. Just a lot of different emotions. Facing a possible case of child abduction, investigators must first eliminate obvious suspects, starting with Cheryl herself. They have polygraphed me to eliminate me from being a suspect. Uh, they said that is by law they have to do that to call in the Amber Alerts. It was heartbreaking because of the circumstance, but I also knew that, you know, I had no involvement in it. But if I could help them, I'd be glad to take it because if I could, they could ask a question that maybe I could answer to help them find Chloe and Gage, I was, I mean, that was fine, but I just took it as something they had to do. And if it could help them, I would, you know, I would do it. Helicopters equipped with infrared cameras found no sign of the children in surrounding woods either. Did someone take them? 
The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation issued an amber alert Friday night, calling the missing children endangered. Authorities don't know what caused the fire, adding to the mystery. As a search for Chloe and Gage intensifies, investigators try to determine the cause of the fire and whether it was an accident or intentionally set. Uh, Michael Knight and the uh, program manager for the Office of Public and Government Affairs for ATF, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Michael Knight has worked with the federal agency for 30 years. One of his biggest cases was the Oklahoma City bombing in April 1995. That investigation lasted several years and involved a massive recovery of human remains, including many children. A house fire in rural Tennessee should be a relatively simple case for Knight and his team of investigators. ATF was brought in uh, fairly early in the investigation. We want to get out there as soon as possible uh, for the preservation of any uh, items that are collected. We don't know at that particular time if it's criminal or non-criminal. When you first arrive, it's a rural area and you see devastation. You could tell that there was some type of fire slash explosion that occurred. We didn't know at the particular time anything about the family, but they have lost everything. Not only are you looking at it from a standpoint of a fire scene, but that some family lost everything. And initially when you come out to a scene, you very easily can have over a hundred leads within the first five minutes. And those leads would include obtaining footage of any public safety vehicles, uh, 911 calls, uh, witness interviews, uh, the type of scene, you know, what did the scene look like? Was it still smoldering? Was there an odor, aroma to the scene? And what type of was? What type of smoke? What color smoke? Uh, did the individuals hear a loud boom or a bang? Or was it just a smoldering fire? Are there any trends or tracks that we need to look at? I mean, has there been a serial arsonist in that particular area? So we look at it from all points. So we have a dozen or so folks on site, and then we have numerous other resources offsite that are still participating in, in assisting with the uh, investigation. So we are methodically processing that scene, and we're looking at to determine what is the origin and the cause. Now, where did the fire begin? Every piece of item that was charred or burned was sifted. And when we're sifting those items, we're looking for anything out of the norm. Was there anything that we potentially could find that would indicate intentionally set fire? Michael Knight's team focuses on dozens of empty propane gas tanks found torched in the rubble. Would a propane tank start a fire? That's the first question that's asked. Did the propane tank start a fire? Or were they, after the fire started, an additional cause to adding more fuel load to the fire? Did these tanks belong there? Uh, or were they brought there prior to the fire? So those are things that we look at. We can't necessarily rule those out, but we have to look at was it a cause of a fire or was it as a result of the fire that they, they were consumed or they expelled some gas? Bubba did have propane tanks in the basement. He had had those since I was nine years old, which was probably 38 
years, 35 years, they, they had been down there and nothing had ever happened with them. The ATF ultimately concludes the propane tanks cannot be ruled out as the source of the fire, but there's also no evidence that they sparked the fatal blaze. My theory is it was arson. They said that the uh, fire had aired and vented through a, the door that was left open in the basement. I had to read that a couple of times because I was like, wait a minute. So the basement door was open. They knew this, the investigators did. Bubba was adamant about every night checking to make sure that basement door was locked before he went to bed every night. That was his routine, his habit, because that's where he kept his tools. And uh, somebody had to open that door to let it vent. That was, um, you know, an eye opener for me. So, I, you know, I believe it was arson. And because of everything that's happened with Chloe and Gage being missing and not being in that house fire, it was intentional. You can look at different aspects of this particular fire scene and go one direction or another direction. From our standpoint, the case is still open. We're always looking for uh, additional information that could lead not only to the fire itself, but to the big picture of the investigation. The criminal element has not been ruled out, but that doesn't necessarily mean it is a main priority or factor that we're looking at. Sometimes at fire scenes, there's just not enough information at that given moment to make an exact determination. The answer to how the fire started and what happened that September evening eludes even the best trained fire investigators in the country. Was it arson? And if it was, who set the fire? And where are the missing children? Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners. I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. When the search for Chloe and Gage reveals not one clue to their disappearance, their aunt, Pam Leverett, becomes convinced that this is a case of arson and kidnapping. Everything that I have learned from the TBI and with the children being missing, I just feel like someone has intentionally 
set the house on fire or did harm or death to my parents and taking the children at this point. I think that someone had probably thought about it for a while and then just probably acted on it. I don't know who or why anyone would want to. Bubba and Molly were very good people. They would, you know, do anything for you. They had good friends. They'd live there, you know, in the community and then that home forever. And I just cannot imagine anyone wanting to harm children. But I I believe 100% in my heart that someone did do this. Somebody had to intentionally start that fire because why would they found my mom and dad and not my children? Why would my children be gone? You know, because if it had started on its own, you know, if Chloe Gage, if they had even got out of the house, they would have been around there somewhere. And when they seen me and seen us pull up the family, they would have came out. Investigators can't confirm whether Bubba and Molly were alive or dead when the fire engulfed their house, leading Cheryl to a chilling conclusion. There is no way that uh, anyone would have been able to have taken them children, taken Chloe and Gage out of their house unless they had killed Mama and Bubba to get them because they would have put up a fight. They would have died fighting to save them children. I believe that uh, someone went in. I believe that they had planned this out and that they had went into Mama and Bubba's home or maybe they let them in They would have went to Bubba's room first because he would have been the strongest and dominant one and, you know, took him out and then Mama and then took Chloe and Gage out of the house because they, you know, I've been told they maybe they had mercy in their hearts. They didn't want to hurt Chloe and Gage or basically in a small, short version, I believe somebody went in and killed my parents, took my children and burnt the house down to cover up the evidence. The way the children disappeared without a trace leads Cheryl to believe their abductor was someone close to the family. If they would have known the person, they would have went with them, either by force or by themselves. We really don't know, you know, what action was taken first to take them, you know, mom and Bubba or anything. So that, uh, that just kind of stuck out too. For Cheryl, the only motive she can imagine for this horrific crime is money. Her parents, Molly and Bubba, had recently made a change to their will. The new will was supposed to be in their safe, but the safe was missing from the house after the fire. Mom and Bubba had uh, gone and changed the will to where Chloe and Gage would get everything, and they had just done it like a month or two before the fire. Bubba had put it in his safe, so that became an issue there of trying to find it. So we knew the one, you know, in the safe. You know, of course, that was gone, so that you would have to go back to the old will. Cheryl also believes that someone worked to obstruct the search for her missing children. We would uh, hang up the pictures of Chloe and Gage after they went missing with their information and someone was going around pulling them down. Sightings of the children are reported from Tennessee, California, New York, Montana, Colorado, and even Costa Rica but none leads to the return of Chloe and Gage. Months into the search, the prospects of ever finding the children look bleak, until a random sighting changes everything for Cheryl. A customer at a diner spots a young girl she thinks fits Chloe's description. She's so convinced, she pulls out her camera and snaps a few photos. 
There was a tip that was here in Tennessee. It was February 2013 that the investigators had that they showed me. A lady was eating at the restaurant and had uh, seen the story and had seen their missing pictures and took the pictures. She took several and sent them to the investigators. You know, I had looked at a lot of pictures in between this time, but I know this was Chloe. I mean, I know my child. I know it was her. They did, too. They believed that it was her. It was in a mom-pop restaurant in a, a town in Tennessee. When someone sends in a tip, the investigators ought to be able to go right then and get them, but it doesn't work that way. These people were traveling. They paid by cash. There's no tracing them. There's no cameras in the mom-pop shop or outside the shop to, you know, get the license tags or anything like that. So I've learned to tell people, you know, if you see them, call 911 right then and get the investigators involved then instead of, you know, waiting, you know, to send them in or whatever. Which she could have sent them in right then, but by the time they got there, they were gone. While struggling with the disappearance of Chloe and Gage, Cheryl confronted another demon in her life, drug addiction. Now in full recovery, she's turned her life around so she can be ready and healthy for her children's long-hoped-for return. Today, she's a certified peer recovery specialist, helping others with addiction and mental illness. She also manages a sober living facility in Tennessee. It's taken me years. It's taken a, a lot of uh, soul-searching, a lot of time, a lot of praying, a lot of uh, different emotions, a lot of anger, <laughs> a lot of crying, a lot of tears, a lot of everything. But I had to, uh, I had to find peace, and that's how I did it. I know that every day she has come to be sober and drug-free in the last couple of years has been for those children. It's the love that she has for those children, and like I've told her. God always has perfect timing, and I know without a shadow of doubt that, first of all, He had to get Cheryl ready as a mother to come, for those children to come home to, and she's ready. She has done everything in her power. Her love for them has overly exceeded becoming the person that she is today and, and being ready and able to be the perfect mother when they do come home. Nearly a decade later, the mystery of what happened to Chloe and Gage continues to baffle authorities. But agencies like the TBI and the ATF have kept the case open and have preserved many items and evidence recovered from the fire scene. We keep these cases open in case there is something that's found from a technical side or from a human interview or information that's brought forth. In technology, you know, this year, next year may produce something that can solve it. And that's why when we have evidence, if there is something, a new technology or new piece of information that we can combine with the items that we collected, uh, that's always very, very paramount. When a case is open, most of those items are still saved uh, because they could be utilized down the road. Age progressions of Chloe and Gage are updated every few years. For Cheryl, it's the only way she can watch her children grow up. You know, it's overwhelming. These are my babies. And then it's like, well, do they look like this? Or, you know, do they not look like this? And then I look at their eyes and, uh, you know, Chloe, her eyes are so distinctive that, you know, it's unreal, a little gagey. It's hard because uh, you don't know. Chloe will be graduating 
And uh, Gage would be a sophomore. So, you know, I think about prom and graduation and stuff like that, too. And, you know, little Gagey. <laughs> He's probably tall. I, don't, I call him Gagey a little bit. He was at the time, but his dad's like six foot. So I'm saying Gagey may be six foot. Chloe, bless her heart, she's just going to be short. <laughs> she ain't going to have no choice, I don't think. I do not want them to be forgotten. As long as I live, I won't let them be forgotten. I have a uh, Facebook page. It's uh, Always Search and Not Forgotten. It's the title of it for Chloe and Gage. I'll do whatever I can to keep their story out there and their pictures out there. You know, and Mama and Bubba, we want justice for them too. Their lives were taken way too soon from us. And Bubba, I uh, have a hard time with uh, him being gone. I just try to adjust the best I can. I have never given up hope, and uh, I never will. I have days to where it's like, will this ever end? Will I ever find them? Will they ever come home? But I've laid it at the Lord's feet, and I feel like in His time, the truth will be brought to light, and we will know. Either way, they come home, whether here on earth to me, or in heaven, I will get to see my children again. To see the latest age progression photos of Chloe and Gage, or if you have any information about their disappearance, go to unsolved.com or email the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation at tips to tbi at tn.gov. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. Has he done this to someone else? I don't know, but he's out there. And that's the reality. I mean, this person could be looking at me and my family every day and just kind of, oh, I got away with it. It could be someone right down the street or someone I may know. It could be right under my nose. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Mirror Productions and Cadence 13. It is executive produced by Terry Dunmuir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge, Christine Lennick, Courtney Ennis, and Paige Heimson. The story producer for this episode was Cynthia Bowles, and it was edited by Paul Yates. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil, Andy Jaskowitz, and Bill Schultz. Production support by Sean Cherry and Ian Mont. Artwork and design is by Kirk Courtney. Publicity by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to Episode 2 of Unsolved Mysteries. 